league-wide Vancouver pregame, postgame, every game presented by Bodog. Sports odds to free casino games. Make a play at Bodog.net. Wadden J. Pat here with you with another edition of the Offseason Pods as we got a lot of news to dive into J-Pat, of course, the NHL draft lottery went down last night. I don't know if you saw, but the uh, the Canucks didn't win. Ah, okay. They didn't win. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We also heard from Patrick Alvin yesterday. We got some news about the Canucks, a little lighter in the wallet. And former Canuck, going to wear the C for Team Canada. But let's start with the NHL draft lottery. The Canucks stay at 11. Womp, womp. But the Chicago Blackhawks, J-Pat, are the big winners. And I don't know about you. Seeing a lot of outrage online over this. Yeah, it's a, it's remarkable how quickly the drama just goes out of that. If you're a Canucks fan or you're watching it from a Canucks perspective, Bill Daly, whoop, 11. All right. <laughs> Not even in the top 10. Obviously, they didn't move up. And so at that point, you're like, I don't really care about the next bunch of picks now. <laughs> like, just fast forward. I wish I could fast forward to the last couple. Uh, look, I think I'm like most people. Yeah, the Blackhawks. I mean, come on. And I recognize that so many of the people involved in the Kyle scandal are are gone. Yeah. But the ownership is still the ownership. And really, did they pay much of a price? There were stories hours after the draft lottery win that the Blackhawks had sold hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in season tickets, like because of the way the lottery balls fell for them. So what were they fined? A couple of mil by the league for the cover up. And then they recoup it in an instant because hockey gods and the lottery balls smile down on them. So from that standpoint, yeah, I'm outraged. Like, I don't like that at all. But I also want to be really clear here. Connor Bedard is not involved in any of this. Connor Bedard will go where the lottery balls tell him he's going to go. Yeah. And it's Chicago. And so I saw somebody tweeting that, you know, because the draft's in Nashville this year and the Predators and the Blackhawks are rivals, that Connor Bedard's welcome to the National Hockey League is going to be overshadowed by all sorts of booing. Like, that's going to be his welcome to the NHL moment because it's the Blackhawks who have the first pick. And that sucks for this kid that has done nothing but elevate his game to the point where he is one of the best prospects that we've had in years. And he's guilty by association all of a sudden. So I really want to sort of draw that line of distinction that I don't like the fact that Blackhawks ownership benefits from the win in the draft lottery. But Connor Bedard's going to a great city. It's an original six franchise. It's got you know, it's got a passion, passionate fan base when the team is good. And we've seen that over the last bunch of years in the Stanley Cups that they won. I mean, it's a dark chapter in the Blackhawks history and the NHL's history. But ultimately, Connor Bedard can help turn a page by going there. You know, he doesn't sweep that story under the rug. It certainly doesn't absolve the people involved blame. And that has to remain. And as like Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman are still on the outside, you know, they're going to have to go kneel down before the commission and beg for, you know, their chance to get back into hockey. So there have been sanctions for some, but the ownership level kind of skates on all of this. And now they get this incredible shiny toy in Connor Bedard. So again, we talked yesterday about, you know, where would the best place be for him? And, you know, I like the fact that he's in the West. So we're going to see him in Vancouver, but he's not in the Pacific division. So that's probably good yeah. uh, for the Vancouver Canucks uh, for the next decade plus. Uh, but I am glad in some ways that he's going to one of the great cities in the United States with, you know, big media, like he'll be able to boost his profile, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think there are a lot of good things about the landing spot, but organizationally, yeah, I mean, it makes your stomach turn that, you know, the Blackhawks, after all they've been through here 
with this scandal, you know, here they are, and they're the big winners on the draft lottery night. So a little bit of mixed emotions. Yeah, I think I said on a past podcast and, and not really realizing the ignorance of what I was saying at the time, just looking at the Blackhawks franchise as a whole, original six, all that, thought that might be a good landing spot for them. But of course, without, you know, really realizing what I was saying at the time. And I just, to me, I don't agree with it. I think the Blackhawks should have been punished a little further than this. Arizona lost a first round pick for those pre-draft workouts. Yeah. Really? The Kovalchuk with New Jersey, they lose a pick because of that, which the contract at the time was legal too. So again, this is, it's fishy, right? And, you know, when you do have these high powered franchises like Chicago in the NHL, you know, basically being given, being given this grace, it's, it's fishy. And you can see why fans would be upset about it. Now on a hockey level for Connor Bedard, you know, to wear that jersey, I don't even know if I can say this with confidence now. Like, is it, are they forever stained the Chicago Blackhawks because of this? Because honestly, really hard thing to move past. I feel like, yeah, I mean, it's not fair to the players that enter the organization, right? Like again, yeah, they're not involved. Connor Bedard has or everybody clean. before this too, right? Like, just, so I do know? think there's a, it's a chapter, as I said, a dark chapter in their history can't be erased entirely. Yeah. But it's, I guess, up to the new management group and the new players to sort of chart their own course and write their own story and sort of try to distance themselves from that. Now, when you look at the Black Box and the way that they operated as an organization, I mean, they went into full tank mode. We know that. Traded away Patrick Kane, traded away uh, Max Domi, Sam Lafferty, Jake McCabe. You know, the Canucks saw them late in the season and their leading score had 30 points. Like, they were all in on the tank. Now, they couldn't reach the bottom because Anaheim lost its final 13 games of the season. But the Blackhawks did everything in their power to up their odds, and ultimately, it paid off. So for the people that, you know, in this market that wanted uh, the Canucks to tank and were frustrated, you can see why. That the Blackhawks gave themselves the best opportunity to up their odds and ultimately their ticket cashed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't say Anaheim lost. We knew that, I mean, we did the simulator. They never finished with the top pick and again there's no when you're you get second pick in the draft and you're probably going to get adam fantilli that's a pretty good consolation prize but it's not connor bedard so blackhawks are proof that if you just kind of let the thing rot in terms of the roster that you're putting on the ice on a nightly basis good things ultimately can't happen i suppose and that is winning the lottery now connor bedard will go in there and if he turns pro next year and i think we all think that he will yeah (laughs) it's They've got a lot of work to do. Like Connor Bedard makes them instantly better, but they were so bad. Again, they had a their leading score finished with like 35 points or something. The bar is pretty low, but it could be a couple of years for Connor Bedard before that team truly turns things around. But in the same breath, they have three first rounders in last year's draft, and they have two this year. At least right now, they have two, and Bedard is one of them. That's five first-round picks that they are going to inject into their lineup here in the next couple of years. And that's where you find elite-level talent is at the top of the draft. You know, for the Canucks, if you wanted to insert five first-rounders, that would include going back to Elias Pettersson. Just because they've traded away first-rounders, it would be Pettersson, it would be Hughes, it would be Pod Colson, maybe Lekaramaki and whoever they take this year. And so, again, this is the danger of being stuck in the middle. And so when the Canucks end up with the 11th pick, like, will they get a good hockey player there? Probably, yeah. but I don't know. Like, I just, I really felt sort of the angst in the fan base of 11th. Really? Like, you know, this team's kind of spinning its wheels. We're still trying to figure out the direction that they're trying to go. 
And now you're going to add the 11th overall pick, who in all likelihood is a couple of years away from not just making the team, but then even further than that, from being any sort of impact player. You just wonder, like, how are they going to get from here to there? And there being the playoffs, first of all, and then being any sort of contender beyond that. So, yeah, I mean, I I felt the frustration in the fan base last night. You could see it on Twitter. It was uh, crystal clear. You know, there are teams that are going to rapidly develop past the Vancouver Canucks here. And that is one of the reasons why people thought at the time of the coaching change, you were that close to the bottom. You could almost touch it. Maybe you weren't going to get there. But was it sound business to to make the coaching change and then to try to win all these meaningless games down the stretch? And, you know, the prize for the Canucks was a 3% chance of winning the lottery and, you know, ultimately the most likely thing was that they were going to finish where they did. And and that's the 11th pick. And we'll see what they do with it on draft day in Nashville. I'm not generally one to quote Sid Sexero out of Toronto, but he took a shot at the Canucks this morning saying, at least uh, when he said to tough, dear Leaf fans, I know this is a tough moment, but try and remember this. At least you're not the Canucks who won a bunch of meaningless games down the stretch. And instead of drafting a franchise altering British Columbia kid, they're now picking 11th. What an organization. Now it's a petty shot. And Sid's been known to do that over the years, but there's a little bit of truth, I guess, to it. You know, like they should, it's a draft should, lottery. Like Anaheim had best odds, true, and true. so Sid can spout off all he wants. And but they didn't shot. do they didn't do all their they could to try and get this. Like JP, right, this this could the be the next Connor McDavid. Anaheim lost its final 13 games yeah, and still true, didn't win true. the lottery. The Canucks had Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and a healthy Thatcher Demko yeah. and JT Miller and Andre Kuzmenko. How? Like how? You know. I mean, we're kind of going back over things that we've covered for the last month. No, you're right, month. you're right, though. You're right, though. Like that path, like it's a great way to explain it to the people. The path, as much as you wanted perhaps to happen, they were like almost too good to have that happen with the amount of players that they have already, right? So I get you. It's a petty shot from out east. He's been known to do that before in the past. The one thing, though, and I think the listeners that are listening right now that can't probably get over is the fact that. The next, perhaps, generational player in the NHL who came from your backyard, they didn't do all they could to try to get him. That's the point. Wow. But there are a bunch of circumstances. They are. We're going to be back in this boat next year with Macklin Celebrini, another Vancouver guy with strong ties to the Canucks organization who's already advised them that they should be rebuilding. And so let's see where it goes. But again, with those players that I just mentioned and a healthy Philip Peronik added to the mix and Ilya Mikheyev, again, the idea of the bottom falling out. And, And... This is why I think it's important that context always matters. At the start of last hockey season, the players were all talking about playoffs. Bruce Boudreaux on that day before training camp said it would be a colossal failure if they didn't make the playoffs. Like There was nobody in hockey that was looking at that Canuck roster and saying, this is a bottom three team in the National Hockey League, right? And then Demko, they got the terrible start. Demko got hurt. They didn't get goaltending. Their penalty killing was terrible. I'm not telling people things they don't know. But then it came to crunch time, and that was mid-January where the organization could have stayed the course. Like at that point, ownership and management could have said, this has just been a brutal year. There are some factors. But at this point, like we've got the fifth best odds in this draft. Let's just ride a coach that can't get these guys to go penalties. Let's ride a coach that, you know, thinks offense, but isn't doing much to help the defense. And, you know, let's trade Bo Horvat, amass an extra first round pick. You know, we won't play Thatcher Demko as much down the stretch. Like there were some things but Elias Pettersson got better as the season went on. Quinn Hughes talked about those final 20 games, wanting to prove that he was the best player he could possibly be, and he played that way. And so this is always that point, and the players are never going to tank. The organization can pull strings and push buttons to 
you know, minimize the chance of winning hockey games. But when you have exceptional talent, there were some nights down the stretch. I mean, Patterson had his five-point night against Philadelphia in February. Like, there was no stopping him that night. And there were other nights like that. And so, again, I, I think, realistically, there was just too much talent on this team for the bottom to completely yeah. fall out. But in the same breath, I do recognize that the organization could have taken some measures that would have prevented them from winning as many games as they did over the final, what was it, 25 or 30 game stretch. That said, the Leafs bottomed out to get Matthews. Mm-hmm. The Oilers were shit when they ended up getting McDavid. How many cups do those two guys have? Yeah. Right? None combined right so now. Y- you know, you can sit there and go, well, why didn't you tank? But at the same time, too, like, look what the Vegas Golden Knights did to the Connor McDavid and the Oilers last night, right? Like, are you confident that the Oilers are, you know, going to get through that series? I'm not. No, Toronto's I mean, on the ropes right it's now. It's hilarious. I, I, honestly, I, I waffle. I tweeted last night, like, every night I have a different combo getting to the Stanley Cup final because, like, it's just Vegas didn't look good on Saturday. They looked the best team in hockey last night. Yeah. You know, but Edmonton did on Saturday. They had it going. You know, Seattle and Dallas have flipped and flopped here. You know, somebody made the point that, you know, the problem with drafting these generational players as great as they are, and you use McDavid and 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 Matthews, is that they get really good really quick and they take up a huge chunk of your cap. Mm-hmm. And yep. Connor McDavid deserves it. The guy is the best does. player in hockey. Yeah. Like he deserves to get his, but and he's been good in the playoffs. He wasn't good last night, but he has been good in the playoffs. But you're right. Is it better to have a you know a twelve million dollar guy, or would you be better off having you know a twelve million dollar guy and then a supporting cast, or you know are you better off with a couple of eight or nine million dollar guys and then more of a supporting cast? And you know it's too soon to write the book on McDavid and Matthews. I can't sit here and say sure. they won't win Stanley Cup. Yeah, and look but, how long it took Ovi, right? So yeah, and, Stan and, goes, you know, and, and he's and, yeah. and you know Crosby got his early. Yeah, so he's a bit of the outlier here. Because what would you say? Would you say McDavid, Matthews, Ovechkin, Crosby are the fourth, four generational players, I guess, that have come around as of recent? We could probably quibble over a couple of others. Yeah, look, I mean, it's hard to watch Drysaddle in these players. There you think go. That yeah. he is. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, I mean, but he, the point is, that it doesn't happen right away. It did for Sid, but for others, it hasn't. So, you know, maybe there is, you know, something to the way the Canucks are thinking and in terms of, hey, we like who we got, right? And And they do. They must. You know, who wouldn't love to have... Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, and Thatcher Demko as your big three, right? So now, you know, I, I had people were like, why? Why did you do that? I had to when I saw that oh. winning combo. Oh, and then everybody jumped on that. <laughs> and look, optically, I get it. It is the ultimate Canuck <laughs> luck that, you know, these four digit codes or the way that the draw, you know, the yeah. Canucks come one number. The final number, but actually, if you've watched the video, I don't know if you watched the the video that League put out of the draft lottery itself with, you know, the commission is three newspapers holding up the, you know, the old hostage thing to make sure that people realize that the front covers of the newspaper, it's today's date. And, you know, it's <laughs> it's not a, so many people still think it's massive conspiracy with the lottery balls. You know, they've got observers in there. They had three media. Frank Saravalli was in there. Aaron Portsline was in there. Like, they've got people that watch this thing to make sure that it all goes off without a hitch. Ultimately, the way the lottery balls were drawn, like, I know in the code that I posted, 13 was the final of the four digits, but the 13 was actually the second ball drawn. And at that point, the Canucks didn't have that ticket. So in the end... When you line up the four balls at four, five, nine, and 13, and the Canucks had four, five, nine, and 12, it looks like they were one ticket off. But guess what? One 
or a million, it doesn't matter. You didn't win. And so and the other thing, too, is because of the way the balls are drawn in that system, there were all sorts of other combinations that were one digit off. So it wasn't just the Canucks that, but again, optically, when you lay it out that way, yes, it looks like that close to Connor Bedard. So I get to, I hear a lot of people say like, why can't they just do this live on television? It is pretty convoluted, the system that they use. But I do think with technology now, they could still draw those four balls. And if you drew the first three, then you would narrow it down to, you know, just the tickets that had the remaining numbers on them that had the first three. And then, you know, I think there is a way they could do it, but they love to do it behind closed doors and just present it all with the flip cards as part of a television broadcast. And then there was the slip up too when they went to commercial break. <laughs> it's Kevin Weeks. Kevin Weeks. Apparently the teleprompter uh, <laughs> had the, you know, he mentioned that Columbus was good. So that sucked for the people. He in got Columbus Ron Burgundy. Yeah. Got Ron Burgundy. <laughs> yeah. But ultimately, you know, and, and two, this story kind of, because there are so many storylines on draft lottery night, but, and again, Anaheim didn't lose. They are not losers. Nobody's here to feel sorry for Anaheim, but Anaheim was also the runner up to Pittsburgh in the Sydney Crosby draft lottery oh, coming out right. of the lost season. And now they come second again. They got Bobby Ryan back then. They get uh, probably Adam Fantilli, although Leo Carson's name is certainly in the mix there as well. They'll get a really good player and they've got a lot of really good prospects. But yeah, they did not get the big prize like uh, everybody other than the Chicago Blackhawks last night. All right. So speaking of good players at 11th overall, we're going to dive into that in just a bit. But I uh, dug up the best 11th overall picks of all time, J-Pat. I'll get to that in just a moment. We do have some more news to get to, though. The Canucks, a little lighter in the pocket, as I said off the top of the show. They held some on-ice sessions with a number of players in mid-April after the season ended. Of course, the sessions were held here in Vancouver, and the Canucks were fined 50. 50k for that jpat i don't know though like to me 50k a bit of a drop in the bucket no yeah i mean when you're uh, the aquilini family that's mm. uh, just a, a rounding error on a on a budget somewhere the rules are as clear as day and patrick alvin said on his post draft lottery zoom that you know it's on him that somebody said like do you have somebody in place that knows the cba and he's like yeah no we got this uh he said but ultimately you know it's my responsibility so, you know, I don't know how many players know the ins and outs of the CBA, but the organization has to know that there are rules in place against off-season workouts with coaches on the ice. Can the players go on the ice and skate? Yeah, Rogers Arena can be open to players. That they cannot have anybody from the coaching staff or the organization, and it sounded like the Sedins were out there on the ice. I'm a little surprised that Daniel or Henrik wouldn't have sort of questioned their role in all of that. Uh, whatever the case, it happened. Now, and, and so... Rules are rule. They broke it. They got fined. And I'm totally okay with that. And they're probably okay writing a 50 grand check to the yeah. NHL. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was right after the season. If the dates reported by Dolly Wall are correct, and I have no reason to doubt them, it was like the week right after the season. So it wasn't like guys had gone home and Canucks had called them back to take part in these kinds of things. This was guys, they're hockey players. Their season's over. You know, they're creatures of habit. The ice is there. And I thought Patrick Alvin actually, his explanation was pretty sound that, you know, some of the guys that thought they were up for world championship consideration, like, what are they supposed to do? Like, you're supposed to stick around and not skate? I mean, again, it comes down to the coaching aspect of it. But, you know, he said there were a couple of injured guys that 
you know, that I would imagine the medical staff probably wanted to get one last look at them before, you know, they head home for the summer. You know, so there were some circumstances at play that I guess I understand why guys are out there on the ice right after the season. The other thing I would say is that to me, there's a little bit of a gray area here, and that is the world championships. Like, so it's not okay for Dakota Joshua and Jack Stadnika and whoever else was out there on the ice with Sadines. That's not okay. But it's okay for any Arizona Coyote or Ottawa Senator to go play for Hockey Canada and work with Andre Tournier and DJ Smith for a couple of weeks at the World Hockey Championships. I know it's not in an NHL building, but that just feels really murky to me that that's okay, that they can get coaching from those guys in the aftermath of their season. But a little twirl at Rogers Arena with Daniel and Henrik on the ice, no, 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 you know, send us 50 grand. So... I'm not too worked up about it, but it just kind of feels like one of those murky regulations that the National Hockey League has in place. And to me, there's a little bit of gray area there. I think they're playing coy by being surprised by the fine. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. I don't think they gave a shit. It's 50K. You know, sure, it's like it when is. the Leafs did that thing uh, this year where they left early and right. get ahead and they ended up getting a fine. Like it was, I think it was 100K or something like they got fined there. Like, it's better for the players and also for this too like if the players want to go out and do this with the coaches and so be it i get it's negotiated and all that stuff and but at the same time too like if the players say yeah no no we're good we want to do this i don't i don't see why there's any sort of violation at that point right it is collectively bargained so that teams can't say hey yeah. we expect you to come back in the summer these guys are basically negotiating time off and so if they agree to it, it Right. <laughs> but that's where there's not wouldn't have been an issue if they had just gone out for escape. But it's the fact that there is coaching there. No, I get yeah. that. But I mean, if they the line... agree to it with the coaches there, they should be allowed to do it. It's just so dumb. And I hear everything you're saying right now, too, with the tournée and, and there Smith are and, lots of dumb yeah. rules around yeah. the National Hockey yeah. League. And, and this is this is one of them. There's no question. But it is interesting, too, that, uh, you know, not only fine, but warned that if you try it again, the fines will get jacked up. I want to know who the whistleblower was. And not I'm not talking about Daniel or Henrik. Like, <laughs> how did this get the league's attention? Like, you know, if it's just happening behind closed doors at Rogers Arena. Oh, there's a mole in Rogers Arena. I don't know. I'd love to know sort of the, you know, the, the chain of command that got this information. Because, again, Scoops himself, no surprise, but he's got the name of players that are out there on the ice. You know, is it the players talking to agents? Is it players talking to other players? And somebody, you know, another team gets wind of it and blows the Like, I don't know. I don't know who blows the whistle, but clearly somebody turned the Canucks in. All right. Uh, let's get to Patrick Alvin. Of course, he talked to the uh, media after the NHL draft lottery yesterday and it just signed uh, Jonathan LeCaramacchi as well. So let's hear from the Canucks general manager on the signing of their 2022 first round pick. Uh, definitely was a uh, was a long season for him too. Uh, coming off starting lo- last year with with Mono, um, played two World Juniors uh, within a span of what five months. Uh, uh, going through uh, development camp, being here at the draft, so I think he he missed a little bit of off off season training. Um, good communication with our development staff uh, throughout the year, um, building the relationship, uh, communicating with him when he when he got injured their lower body, in, I believe in February, and uh, very very encouraging to see how he played uh, down the stretch uh, in big games for, for his club team there. And uh, unfortunately they fell short in the end there. 
So uh, overall, I think he um, he 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 took steps forward. Um, still has has uh, you know uh, some some things to improve on, and and we're excited uh, to have him under contract here. I don't think we. Uh talked about sort of the path that he's going to take to eventually end up in Vancouver. I think yesterday we just sort of chatted about what's next for him, where he's going to be next year, how he said he's going to be in Sweden. But so let's break this down now. So it's a three-year entry-level contract Mm -hmm. and we expect next year to be in Sweden. I guess the expectation after that is Abbotsford, I guess, or do we see really how he progresses through the Swedish year? Yeah. I'm Best case scenario would be you're in the SHL playing against men in the top league over in Sweden. And if he can have success there, again, he'll be 19 all of next season. And then the following year, I think he would come to camp with a legitimate shot to make the Canucks. I mean, by then, Elias Pettersson's new contract is going to kick in. You're going to need guys on entry-level deals. And, you know, even if he's not ready, he may still be an option for the Vancouver Canucks just based on, on his starting salary. So, you know, could he be in the NHL at 20? Yeah, it's possible. But as we heard him say yesterday, and Alvin talked a little bit too, that you know there's still a lot of work to be done in his game. We know that they've got a lot of wingers here. If he was a center, maybe I'd feel a little bit better about his chances. But you know, if he comes over here and has to play in Abbotsford, you know, or start a year in Abbotsford and be an option for a call up, like I think that's kind of the path that they're looking for. I asked Alvin on the conference call, you know, what is the process about finding a place for him to play, and he didn't really get into details. But he did say that he thought he would be a highly sought-after commodity for a number of SHL teams. So I think it's a question of working with Lakaramaki and his family and the teams, you know, the opportunities for him. Where are some of the clubs that Patrick Alvin is comfortable with? Michael Samuelson, obviously, on the ground over there. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. But they'll find a home for him in the SHL next year. And let's see if he can pick up where he left off in the playoffs, stepping up a level. But, uh, you know, he'll also have a big offseason. And as Alvin said last year, offseason interrupted, World Juniors and some injuries, the draft, all that kind of stuff. Like, uh, he's under contract now, and hopefully he's uh, going to use the next four months wisely to be ready when the next hockey season rolls around. Yeah, two years from now, you're right. Uh, Pedersen would have a new deal that would kick in. Vasily Colson would have a new deal that would kick in as well. But you'd still be riding... Connor Garland would still be under contract, depending on what happens with him over the next few years. Anthony Beauvillier, that would be the year that he expires. I think we expect he'll probably get moved at some point here uh, by the Canucks. And Andre Kuzmenko will be on his final year. So just looking at the wingers that'll still be around, Brock Besser would be on his final year uh, that year as well. But again, we expect some moving parts here over the next little while. So we'll see exactly uh, where things stand in terms of when LeCaramaki is ready uh, to become a Canuck. The Canucks will have the 11th overall pick. Of course, we know that. We've talked about that at length here on the podcast. And Patrick Alvin asked about that 11th overall pick and just kind of gave, you know, the standard, well, you know, we'll draft the best player that's available. Well, uh, or preferred path is to uh, pick the best player available. Um, you know, with, with all those, uh, you know, players, uh, everybody has a different path to get there. And, and some of them might take, uh, uh, you know, uh, two or three years from now and, and the or roster might change by the time they're ready. Um, so we definitely go by the best player uh, available there. I don't think Canuck fans want to hear that. They don't want to <laughs> winger right now. <laughs> they want themselves some depth down the middle. And can, is there a right-handed shot defenseman out there that perhaps can get drafted at, at some point here from the Canucks? 
Yeah, well, I mean, and look, we've got six weeks to get into prospects, so we won't go too deep on today's program. But obviously, David Reinbacher's name, the Austrian, big Austrian, right shot guy. Axel Sandin Pelika is the other one, the undersized Swede who's got all the skill. But, you know, consensus is that 11 might be high for either one of those guys, although there's so many moving parts right now. I do find it fascinating that the Canucks are having their amateur scouting meetings this week. And so it timed out, probably was designed this way. You know, they had their first day of meetings on Monday, then you get the draft lottery. And now, you know, 11, you can start to really sort of hone in. Although Alvin was, they say it every year, like you got to be prepared if you trade up or down. You know, you can't just lock on that 11th pick, but it does narrow the focus. They don't have to prepare Connor Bedard jerseys or Adam Fantilli. Uh, you know, so times out well that I would imagine the second and third day of the amateur meetings pretty productive just because they know where they're going to be slotted now. But uh, yeah, you know, the idea of drafting for need versus best player available, it does sort of feel like it's a you know, forward heavy draft and let's see what happens before them. Alvin was talking about the fact that, you know, there's a number of interchangeable parts and sort of the tiers that you always talk about each year that, you know, they're in a position where they're hoping that somebody drops to them at 11. And the other thing is, I think this year, yeah, best player available, but with an eye to the center ice position, you're right. Like they've, they've drafted too many wingers, Pod Colson and Lakaramaki, their last two first round picks, both wingers. You went through the list of guys that got on the current roster. They need help down the middle. And it was apparent out in Abbotsford. It was apparent at the NHL level. So I do think if all things are equal, best player available with little asterisk, as long as that best player, you know, and play or does play the center ice position. Well, Alvin had three of his draft picks from last year already signed, and he says he's got full confidence in the scouting staff. And I know my my staff are, are working extremely hard. They're, they're detailed. They're prepared. Uh, they they know the regions inside out. And, and uh, now we're just going to, you know, uh, work on the process of, of putting the list together here. Um, the collaboration between the crossover guys and, and Todd Harvey. Um, I've been impressed uh, um, since I got in here, how they communicate and how they work together and how they, um, in the end of the day, getting the list, uh, a list in order. Gone over this extensively. This is a team that just needs to draft better. They yep. have to over the years. We've seen that. And of course, you know, you hit, they've hit, you know, the we Quinn Hughes was, of course, falling to them at seventh. Elias Pettersson was a fantastic pick at fifth overall. But we all remember what happened with Yo Levy, Vertanen. That's just the first round. It's the other rounds that they got to start hitting on as well. Right. So uh, definitely a good sign that they signed their first, their third, and their seventh round pick uh, from last year. They love their second round pick in Danila Klimovic uh, from 2021 as well. So yeah, this is just really where they need to grow. And again, good teams draft well. And not only that, if you're drafting well, like we talked about, it can really help you uh, when it comes to your salary cap. Yeah. And one of the things Alvin was asked, and I mean, GMs get asked this every year, right? Like, are you going to use that pick or are you open to trading it? Yeah, And he said, like, I'm open to improving my hockey club any way I can. So it's sort of that standard hockey answer to that very question. But saw some, you know, traffic in, in social spaces after the lottery. And when Alvin said that, like, people were like, well, he didn't say no, that he's going to keep it for sure. You do wonder, like, it's May the 9th today. The draft is the final week of June. You know, they've got a little bit of time here, but if they get to that week in Nashville and they haven't cleared cap space, you know, does that back them into a corner where that first rounder becomes, oh, 
commodity that they could then use to try to address some of the areas of concern. Because I don't expect, like, I mean, they've been trying to move the same players forever and nothing's happened. So I'm not holding out my hopes as much as I wasn't holding out my hopes around the draft lottery last night. I'm not holding out hope that all of a sudden this team's just going to pop up and take one of these wingers off their hands, you know, without being compensated to do it. And what does that compensation look like? And, you know, this is a front office group that acquired and then turned around and peddled the first rounder they got for Horvat to pick up Philip Ronick. So they've traded a first rounder already, but I've said it before. I'll say it again. The idea of the Vancouver Canucks, and I know it's two management groups, but first rounder in the JT Miller deal, a first rounder in the Connor Garland OEL deal, a first rounder to get Philip Ronick. Really? You're talking about trading a fourth first rounder. I just mentioned earlier in the pod that the Blackhawks will have had five first rounders in these last two drafts alone. And we're talking about a hockey club that's not far removed from the Chicago Blackhawks in the standings. And they're peddling four first rounders. Again, it hasn't happened yet, but if they pull the trigger, that'll be their track record. And I just, I don't know. It just kind of feels like, you know, more of this paying a price to try to make incremental improvements rather than, Oh, just making the moves that bad teams should have made earlier. Are you suggesting a first round pick to get off a bad contract? Yeah, I'm saying that yeah. if it gets to draft week and they yeah. haven't been able to create this cap flexibility. You think Canuck fans would be into if they move that first round pick, if they could get off of OEL's contract? Well, I don't even consider OEL like he's got he holds all the cards with the no movement clause. So the idea of him agreeing to I think we're looking more at the wingers that. You know, we talk about every other program. It feels like in Besser and Garland, certainly the the two, you know, because they have term and they've got a dollar amount that would free up, you know, some cap space, certainly for the Vancouver Canucks. So they've got time here. They've got six weeks before the draft. But again, I'm not anticipating this massive trade market opening up that's going to answer all of their prayers. And if you get beyond the draft, like, how do you improve your hockey club coming back, running back the same group from last year, a little bit of improvement from within, but then a bunch of patchwork when Alvin's already stated he wants a third line center that talk, talk about he wants toughness. If you get past the draft to free agency, like they're already committed above the limit for next year. They have to shed salary. So how are they going to do it? And I just, I do fear a little bit that they're going to get backed into a corner. Now, another way that they could uh, create a little bit of leverage, I suppose, is a trade back in the draft, right? We talk all about they were slotted in 11th. That doesn't mean that they have to use the 11th pick. What if you trade back in the draft, pick up an extra pick somewhere that maybe you could then use and attach yeah. to a player? So, you know, that's another avenue that I think people have to be prepared for the Canucks to travel because something's got to give. They cannot start next season with the cap. Again, they haven't even re-signed Ethan Bear yet or, you know, any of the other players that uh, they've got in their own stable right now. Yeah, you got to be careful with that, though, right? I mean, I, if you remember, Toronto traded off of Patrick Marlowe to get out from underneath that contract, ended up giving up a first-round pick to Carolina, which was the 13th overall pick in 2020, which ended up being Seth Jarvis, which is a nice player for the uh, Carolina Panthers or uh, Carolina Hurricanes, that is, right now. So, although a different circumstance, I think, too, right? Like, with Patrick Marlowe being of his age at, at that time as well. Like, I think if you were to sort of get off of Besser and or Garland, like, you'd still be teams that, use that player right like marlo was at the end of his line right. basically at that point right so yeah interesting to see exactly where the canucks go with that 11th overall pick and that was our poll question yesterday do you expect the canucks to keep the or trade the 11th overall pick uh just under 1200 votes are in right now and it's close to 50 50 53.3 percent of the people are saying they're going to keep 
the 11th overall pick. I think there's a lot of hope involved with that right there, J-Pat. We'll see exactly what the Canucks do with it come draft day. Applewood Auto Group is celebrating 25 years of business, making the car business and our communities better. Applewood offers the best in-class experience, whether you're looking for a car, service, or to join our team. Come find out why it's all good at Applewood. Visit us online at applewood.ca today. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. All right, so teased it earlier, Jay Pat, and the Canucks uh, with the 11th overall pick. I dug through the draft, went through every single draft from amateur into the entry draft. And I picked out five names that were the best at 11th overall. I'll take you all the way back to 1995. You're going to remember this guy real well. The 11th overall pick by the Dallas Stars, Jerome Aginla. Yeah, I was there in Edmonton on the draft floor that day. Uh, his teammate Shane Doan had gone earlier to the Winnipeg Jets. And Doan went 7th overall. Uh, and Jerome, his Cambridge Blazers teammate, uh, went 11th to Dallas and, of course, was part of that Joe Newendike trade. Worked out uh, pretty well for both of those teams. But, uh, yes, uh, proof that you could find uh, some well, Hall of Fame talent in that 11th hole at the draft, if if you're lucky. Let's go up eight years from then. And uh, Jeff Carter was the 11th overall pick in the twenty or 2003 draft by the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, Carter, of course... Uh, still playing in the league right now, 29 points in 79 games. So the production falling off a little bit for Jeff Carter, but a good player in his day. And of course, uh, a Stanley Cup champion as a member of the LA Kings. Yeah, that's just that incredible draft. I mean, that one's going to stand the test of time. Mark Andre yeah. Flory went first overall. Uh, Eric Stahl, I think, was one of the top three in that pick uh, in that draft class. Uh, Ryan Getzlaff, we talked about Corey Perry, or we we talked about guys uh, that are still playing. Uh, Corey Perry, obviously, just eliminated uh, with Tampa. But uh, yeah, I mean, that 2003 Ryan Kessler for the Vancouver Canucks. So uh, uh, it churned out an incredible, incredible amount of talent. Yeah. Did you mention Shea Weber on there as well? Yeah, he's a massive player. Uh, also, too, seventh round pick. Joe Pavelski that year. <laughs> what that a steal. Yeah. Uh, 20, 2005, Anze Kopitar to the LA Kings. Can you imagine if the Canucks could get an Anze Kopitar at well, 11th course, overall? That was the Luke Bourdon draft where yeah. Bourdon went one pick before. Uh, rest in peace, Luke Bourdon. But, uh, and, you know, that's just so unfortunate to never know uh what kind of player he was going to turn out to be he was tracking in the right direction but uh yeah the kings they did all right uh with Andre kopitar uh one pick after luke bordon and head to 2012 the 11th overall pick by the washington capitals at the time philip forsberg 42 yeah. goal scorer back in uh the 20 21 22 season i mean now philip forsberg he's had that outlier season when you look at it the 84 points in 69 games back in 21 22 but he's a fine player 511 points in 616 games yeah they missed him down the stretch had concussion issues and 
you know, Nashville hung around, most of it on the back of UC Soros, but a lot of uh, unsung heroes stepped up to keep them in it into that final week of the season. But man, they could have used Philip Forsberg among others. And uh, yeah, Preds did all right uh, in the Philip Forsberg for Martin oh, Erat trade. Oh my goodness. Now don't forget, uh, Michael Latto was a part ah, of that yes. as well. Of course, Michael Latto, right. I can forget that. Uh, lastly here in 2014, Kevin Fiala, and I think both you and I are big fans of this guy. Yeah, uh, another guy that uh, went uh, 2014. Uh, that'll always be remembered from a Canucks perspective uh, for what happened a little earlier in the first round there, whether it was Kevin Fiala or Dylan Larkin or uh, William Nylander. I mean, there were players available to the Vancouver Canucks, and they opted for Jake. Uh, didn't work out so well, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, every draft is different, and you know, it's proof that yes. Uh, some years there is incredible talent sitting there uh, in those 11th, you know, around 11, uh, where the Canucks currently hold the spot. But, you know, then the, the flip side of that argument is, uh, you know, we've talked about Mika Rountonen as a 10th overall pick. And of course, Vasily Ponkolzin was a 10th overall pick as well. You know, <laughs> there's no sort of through line uh, yeah. just because a player is taken where he's taken in the draft. But uh, the Canucks have to be you know, keeping their fingers crossed that uh, one of the players that they want uh, is available there, as uh, Patrick Elvin said, perhaps, uh, you know, teams just ahead of them have their eyes on somebody else. And one of the players that's rated a little higher uh, slides and perhaps the Canucks can benefit um, from that. So let's see where it goes. I mean, uh, there's always so much intrigue on that uh, opening day of the draft. You know, this year it's a Wednesday for some reason, which is a little interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's also a week later. Like, it's in the final week of June. I'm so used to it sort of being the third week of June, but uh, uh, it's in Nashville. Two-day event. Uh, first round's on a Wednesday this year, and then uh, rounds two through seven on the Thursday. Uh, a couple other names. Keith Ballard was an 11th overall yeah. pick, of course. Yeah. Infamous uh, Canuck at one time. Ryan Ellis. I, I thought about Ryan Ellis on this list. I know Ryan Ellis' uh, career got short, a bit shortened due to uh, injury, but I was always a fan of him. Didn't think that he truly became what I thought he was going to be in the NHL, but a, a solid defenseman uh, in that regard. So if you got a Ryan Ellis type at 11th overall, I think you'd be over. You'd be okay with that. Uh, Canucks have picked 11th overall once. Right. You do know this, right? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I figured you would. Uh, Michelle Petit back mm-hmm. in 1982 was the 11th overall pick for the Canucks. And that's kind of a random, like to me, I mean, they've been around 50 some odd years, 50, you know, first rounds. I, I was a little surprised that it only happened the one time. So make it two this year if they hold, if they hold on to the pick. The BC Lions are back in the playoffs and hosting the Calgary Stampeders on Saturday, November 4th at BC Place, kickoff at 3.30 p.m. Looking forward to this one, playoff football, BC Place, the Lions and that offense with Vernon Adams at the controls and all of those weapons he has in his receiving core. And you just think about the atmosphere in that building with the fans behind them, the Dome will be rocking, should be a ton of fun. Tickets on sale now at bclions.com and check this out. They start at just 30 bucks. And kids 17 and under can get in for 15. So bring the noise, fill the dome. Rinkwide Vancouver is presented by Bodog Poker Tips, Sports Odds, and Free Casino Games. It's time to play. They played last night, at least the Golden Knights did, against the Oilers, a 5 1 drumming, drubbing that is. And the uh, Golden Knights now lead the series two games to one. Bit of a surprise here, but at the same time, not really, especially the way that Vegas is playing right now. They are looking like a team that is poised to make a run here. 
Yeah, and look, there's firepower on both sides. Uh, we saw that in the opener that Vegas won, and it was a 6-4 to four was the final there. You know, you knew you'd get a response from Edmonton and didn't guarantee that they were going to win. And then Edmonton was like all world on Saturday to even the series, put the ball back in Vegas's court, and what a response. Um, you know, they got the start they were looking for and rolled from there. Uh, you know, it was a four goaltender special. Stuart Skinner got the hook. Uh, Laurent Brossois knocked out of the game. And so Aiden Hill comes in tough situation for him as it was for Joseph wall. You know, I was looking at this the other day that, uh, Philip Grubauer is the only goaltender to have played every game for his team that is still alive in the second round. Like we've just seen whether it's injury or, um, you know, some inconsistency, that teams have gone to the two goaltender system at some point in these playoffs. There were others in the first round, Shesterkin, and uh, I think there were, I looked at the list the other day, there were a couple others. Uh, but Philip Grubauer, who, you know, wasn't a world beater in the regular season, but man, he has found his form and has given the crack in the kind of goaltending they need to get to this point. Uh, but Vegas, like, they just turned it up, and it was incredible. It, the one sequence where they had the goal that was challenged and overturned, and there was some goaltender interference, and Vegas was like, "Screw that! We're yep. just gonna go back down and, and score, score again." again. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of the goalie interference there? Yeah, like, it is a little. It, yeah, I think at this stage of the game in the playoffs, that it, there was contact certainly cutting through the crease there. So I, I wasn't surprised that that one uh, ruled in Edmonton's favor. And you would have thought maybe it gave him a bump, but. So I said that was just like Vegas, was like, yeah, okay, so what? Here we go. We're just gonna take the puck and, and stuff it in your net again. And that's exactly what they did. Love that Zach Whitecloud goal, you know me, and goals from defensemen. But forget the fact that it was a defenseman. I just love like, you know, top shelf, short side, probably shouldn't go in, but still, like uh just another reminder that at this level, like all those guys can shoot the puck so well. Yeah. And, you know, there was that narrow opening and he found his spot and that was a big goal for for Vegas. You think Vegas, if they have goaltending issues with uh, Brossois, like if he can't come back, do you think they could ride Aiden Hill? Like it almost seems like a team that it just doesn't really matter who's in that right now. Well, they've got Jonathan Quick waiting in the wing somewhere, right? Like they picked him up at the trade deadline and I kind of thought he would be the number two guy. Is he but not injured too? Is he hurt again? I, 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 let, me, let me look it up. Yeah. But... Like, remember, this is a team that had five different guys win games for them in the regular season, so they've they've gone pretty deep on their depth chart. I, I wondered if they continued to go deep in the playoffs, like, would Logan Thompson ever be a a possibility for them? Like, if their season extended, yeah. I don't I don't know where he is in all of this, but uh, you know, you don't want to go too deep in your goaltending situation. Now, Florida obviously started that Boston series with Alex Lyon, and you know, he got them one of their four wins, and. Sergei Bobrovsky obviously has uh, come along and and stepped up and become one of the real stories in these playoffs. But um, yeah, I, I think you're playing with fire if you're Vegas, you know, through no control of their own. Obviously, you want guys to be healthy. Uh, the playoff hockey is a battle of attrition. But yeah, I think you're asking for a little bit of trouble if you're going, you know, three, four, five deep in your goaltending at playoff time. Like they're a good team. You know, I, but every team's got its limits, right? Like, I, I don't know how deep they can go in, in goal uh, before it does become a, a problem for them. Yeah, I don't see anything with Jonathan Quick right now. Uh, Logan Thompson's definitely out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see exactly where they go. And you're right. Like, I mean, they, Jonathan Quick's done it before. 
Yeah. Just the way this Golden Knight team's playing, like, is you know, does it? And I'm also starting to think too, like, does goaltending really matter that much? Because as you talked about with guys that can all shoot, like, all these goalies are good in the league as well. And if your team is good enough in front of you, right? Like, you know, Vasilevsky's out right now. He's the best goalie in the league. You know, you look at what Colorado did last year. So I don't know. It's an interesting sort of uh, take on it in terms of, you know, what goalies can sort of ride you to a, to a Stanley Cup uh, championship. Carolina and New Jersey is tonight uh, 2-1 in the series for the Canes. And Dallas is in Seattle tonight, 2-1 for Seattle. That was the only series we differed on when we made our picks, by the way. Uh, you mm. took Dallas. I'm not spiking any footballs right now. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think the series is done. I don't. But it, it is kind of interesting that the... Kraken could be put the Dallas in a, in a stranglehold tonight if they could get a victory. Yeah, uh, stakes are high as they are the deeper you go in the playoffs. But uh, you know, this is crunch time, obviously, for the Dallas Stars. Like they're not eliminated, but if they go down three to one to this Kraken team, the way that uh, they're playing, their confidence level, their belief, and and just the way that they spread their scoring, I certainly would like Seattle's chances of getting one of the final three games if they're able to get this one on home ice. Now. They've been a better team on the road than they have been at home in the regular season and in the playoffs. And in this series, they got a big win in Dallas uh, in the opener, but uh, they looked pretty good on home ice the other night. So we'll see if they back it up. We'll see if uh, expectations, you know, sometimes they can weigh on hockey teams, a little bit of pressure. Now, I think there's a belief down there that this Kraken team can do what Vegas did in its inaugural season and get on this magical mystery run that could take them all the way to the Stanley Cup final. A lot of hurdles still to clear, but uh, they are sitting pretty, and they will be in an absolutely sweet spot if they get another victory tonight over the Stars. I didn't get a victory with my Bodog best bet yesterday. Oh. I thought the San Jose uh, Sharks were going to win that draft lottery. I <laughs> loved the odds. That it was a plus 750. That was kind of enamored by that. For some Swing reason, for I... What's that? Swing for the fences. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I I just I saw Bedard and Teal. Maybe I liked the way he looked because you know how all those different teams had put Bedard in their jersey and whatnot. I saw him in the Teal. I thought maybe he looked good in that, and I just had a feeling it didn't work out. I got a feeling about this one too, J. Pat. Swinging yeah. for the fences here all as right. well. Everybody talking about Adam. Fantilli. Canucks are going to win tonight's lottery. Is that no? Right? Yeah, there's no lottery tonight. Oh. Tonight. All right. Everybody talking about Adam Fantilli being the second overall pick. And, you know, you and I, we're not the biggest prospect guys. I think both of us know that Connor Bedard's going to be a good NHL player. But the second overall pick, I don't know if it's a lock. I'm looking at Leo Carlson right now because I like these odds that Bodog is giving at plus 650 to go second overall. I hit up our buddy J.D. Burke because I just had to ask, like, is it a lock that Adam Fantilli is going to go second overall? And he said it's close to a lock, but he said he wouldn't be surprised if some teams had Leo Carlson uh, penciled in on their board at second overall. Now, Fantilli's minus 500 on Bodog's odds. You know me. That's too much juice to have to pay to make some money. So why not gamble on Leo Carlson at plus 650? Uh, looking up the, the kid's stats, I mean, he is he's playing in the SHL right now, and he's doing well. At, at 18 years old, he's got 25 points. Uh, in 44 games in his regular season, nine points in 13 games in the playoffs. Looks, he's a center iceman, six foot three, 200 pounds. I mean, this is everything that uh, a team would want. And just looking at that value right there, J. Pat, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a little sprinkle, as I say, on that one. See if I can make myself some money. Look smarter well, than others. It would be if Anaheim was to go in that direction, then I'm sure Columbus would uh, sit there and say, "Hey, uh, come on down quickly." But 
I also wonder if things go according to form, and this is no knock on uh, Leo Carlson, because I agree with everything you said there, but like the Columbus Blue Jackets now are regarded as having the best prospect pool in the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. They're going to get a new coach at some point. Like you can never have too much talent, but that's been a never ending rebuild for the Blue Jackets, right? Like they've never, uh, they upset a Tampa a few years ago, but they've never really gone on a playoff run. They've never really put it together. I wonder if they shop the third overall pick Ooh. Ooh. to get somebody that they could insert into their lineup that's a few years along on the development curve. Um, you know, it's a risky proposition, but I also think like you can't have all the prospects in the world. Like at some point, you've got to put an NHL product on the ice, and they've got lots of good players there. Obviously, they landed Johnny Gaudreau, they got Patrick Laine, uh, Kent Johnson, uh, Marchenko looks like the real deal with the the goal scoring. Um, you know, Boone Jenner is still a pretty solid player for them. And then, like, you know, they were whacked by injuries last year. You know, they should get Zach Wierenski back. Uh, they've got David Juracek, who they got, you know, top 10 pick on defense. They're going to plug him in. Uh, I, I just wonder. I wonder if Columbus is a team to watch with. And I, I'm just sort of spitballing here. You know, we always talk, like, every draft we talk about, Oh, would somebody trade you know out of the top five? Like they, generally in hockey, they're so conservative that you know top five picks don't get moved very often. But I wonder if Columbus would look at moving down, trying to still pick up a good player, but also add something that could help them in the here and now. Because at some point, the Blue Jackets like they can't just keep spinning their wheels. You know, Johnny Hockey didn't sign there for you know this team to just kind of sit in neutral and not do anything. Um, I don't know. I just wonder if Columbus is a team to watch in and around the draft. I wonder if Anaheim's a team to watch as well, because as you look at the, you know, the best players available here, like the top three, four, like the top four picks in elite prospects. Uh, no. So this is daily face-offs mock draft are all centers and Anaheim's pretty good down the middle right now. So yeah, interesting to see exactly what will happen here and, you know, maybe uh, maybe some of these, maybe there'll be some draft day moves, but we'll have to see. I think, though, with these players like Fantilli and Carlson, I mean, just from what I hear from uh, prospects guys, is those would be tough guys to uh, to try to trade away because sure. sound like they're going to be good good looking NHL players. But we'll have to see see how it all unfolds, and we'll see what happens with the Canucks with that eleventh overall pick because that one's a spicy one. That one definitely could be moved uh, by the Canucks. All right, it's been another edition of the Rinkwide Vancouver Podcast presented by Bodog. For Jeff Patterson, I'm Andrew Wan. Remember, Rink Wide is the show that always scores.